Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, everyone. Glad to have you back for another edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're covering agriculture from the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. If you like variety in your weather, the 2020 crop season in the Texas Panhandle had a lot to offer, and a lot of it was bad. I'm James Hunt, and I'll bring you that story from Amarillo. Sustainability commitments to help improve farm productivity. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories, plus the latest news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. The Harlingen Cotton Committee recently auctioned the first bale of 2020 Rio Grande cotton to benefit area students pursuing a degree in higher education. BASF purchased the first bale for $7,000. Another $3,000 in fundraising add-ons were contributed by donors and the committee for a total of $10,000. The proceeds will be made available in the form of a scholarship to students pursuing a welding certificate from Southern Careers Institute in Harlingen. For the past 66 years, the nation's first bale of cotton has been harvested in the Rio Grande Valley. The certified first bale was delivered by Mike England back on June 18th. If you like variety in your weather, the 2020 crop season in the Texas Panhandle had a lot to offer. James Hunt reports from Amarillo. With a few fields yet to be harvested, there's really no way around it. The Texas Panhandle summer crop season was a tough one. It just seemed that we had one bad weather event after the next. That's Texas A&M AgriLife agronomist Jordan Bell describing a season in which the most significant weather menace was the drought conditions that prevailed throughout. The lack of precipitation was felt most acutely in the southwestern panhandle, where some irrigation wells actually ran dry in mid-season, and Bell says production losses in cornfields were substantial, including for the silage much needed by animal agriculture. Because of that, many of the dairies and livestock producers have been really working hard trying to get forage from other regions so that they have enough winter forage. The early season dry conditions also nullified a large number of cotton acres that had to be abandoned simply because the plants never got above ground. Even as inadequate moisture continued to be a problem, panhandle crops also got hit by fierce windstorms in June and hail in August. And then came a very premature blast of winter in early September that Dr. Bell says prevented much of the area's lake-planted sorghum from pollinating. It was really evident that those temperatures that were in the 30s for 24 to 36 hours really impacted those yields. And as if that were not enough, in late October we had an ice and snow event that brought further damage to cotton, especially in fields with open bowls. That 
cotton was ready, we were just in that final dry down period and a lot of that lint was just pulled out and quite a bit of lint on the ground. In many cases, it has been estimated that producers lost a couple of hundred pounds of lint. So as we say, a tough year in so many ways. Now as we head into winter, we're hoping pessimistic long-range weather forecasts will be proven wrong and our winter wheat crop will prosper. In Amarillo, James Hunt for the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The American lamb industry was hit hard by the coronavirus pandemic with the shutdown of the restaurant industry. But Peter Orwick, executive director of the American Sheep Industry Association, says the inclusion of sheep producers in the second round of the coronavirus food assistance program has helped the industry to recover. The pandemic hit the hit the restaurant trade on the 16th of March and our lamb market just plummeted, fell off a cliff. 50% of American lamb was going into that restaurant trade. So it backed 100,000 animals up in the pipeline. Uh, We were all loaded up for Easter, Passover, Ramadan, uh, single biggest uh, marketing period of the entire year. Um, And so the CFAP payments we had, we fought very hard. Uh, President Cox and and the volunteers uh, uh, stepped in with Congress and made sure that the lamb feeders and sheep producers uh, were able to participate. Uh, we, we've envisioned over $100 million in payments, and uh, that's showing up in the land prices uh, that we have, to, we have today, much stronger than any of us anticipated. But Orwick says there's still a long way to go, especially in the restaurant trade. So much of that has still been carry out, fast food, casual dining, and we tend to be in the, in the more white tablecloth uh, end of the restaurant business. We have a lot of ground to make up in restaurant trade. Uh, what we are seeing is through grocery and retail, uh, you know, just as an alternative, I think lamb is fitting in and getting the benefit of people that can't eat the same protein every meal, and lamb is just setting up as a wonderful alternative. Peter Orwick, Executive Director of the American Sheep Industry Association. Sustainability initiatives continue to grow in agriculture. Tom Nicoletti has more. My guest today is Liz Hunt. She is head of sustainable and responsible business with Syngenta, joining us today from Colorado Springs. And uh, Liz, uh, let's talk about what uh, Syngenta is doing uh, with what's called the Good Growth Plan 2.0. Good Growth Plan 2.0 builds on our original Good Growth Plan commitments, which we launched in 2013. So this is an extension from that based on the learnings that we had Um, from our work there. So this is looking to um, kind of in four key areas of what we want to achieve. Um, But we're looking to look around, you know, how can we accelerate innovation for farmers in nature, working on worker safety and keeping people healthy, striving for carbon neutral agriculture, and seeing where we can build partnerships to help us scale in sustainable agriculture. So these four points uh, certainly go a long way in, in helping farmers when it comes to sustainability on their farms and uh, better productivity. Absolutely. That's our, our objective is to have commitments that help to uh, benefit farmers um, along with their productivity, profitability, while having respect for the environment as well. Yeah, and certainly uh, the environment. That's always a big talking point among a lot of people in farming and ranching, but even those who uh, have no ties whatsoever to agriculture and, and, and the importance of protecting the environment. Absolutely. Okay. And so uh, what else can you tell us about the good growth plan at, the, at this point? What stage is it in and where do you go from here? So we just launched our 2020 commitments that will go through 2025. And I think if I look at them and see, you know, what are the 
most exciting things, maybe from a farmer perspective, is some of the investment that Syngenta has committed to for sustainable agriculture breakthroughs. So we announced a $2 billion commitment in development of these sustainable agriculture technologies over a five-year period. And also looking to bring two new technologies to market each year. And when you think of the technologies, it's across the whole Syngenta portfolio. So from our you know, crop protection to seeds, to seed care, to digital tools. So kind of you know, a lot of different opportunities to bring new things to market. Yeah, well, Syngenta has always been known as a very diversified uh, company in providing tools for farmers in protecting their investment and the environment. So certainly... Uh, uh, you know, Syngenta has uh, been uh, beneficial to farmers uh, here in Texas and, and across the country for years and years. Absolutely. And that's, you know, part of the good growth plan is to make sure that, you know, farmers can keep farming long into the future, freedom to operate and, you know, making sure that we're, we're telling that right story and working towards this, the right goals um, for agriculture and society. One thing that I think I'm most excited about with the Good Growth Plan is, you know, our partnership opportunities. So looking for how can we partner better with farmers and other folks along the value chain. That again is Liz Hunt. She is head of sustainable and responsible business with Syngenta. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. One silver lining in this pandemic-infused year is the rapid advancement of communications technology, allowing us to talk to more people via Zoom and other choices. Greg Haynes, CEO of the Cattlemen's Beef Promotion and Research Board, says technology has helped beef producers to reach more consumers. All the contractors we work with and the programs that we have on the checkoff have really done a great job of adapting and evolving to be able to leverage the situation in a positive way. There's been a huge shift, as you know, from dining out to to eating at home and shopping at retail. Face-to-face contact has been limited. And so the checkoff has really been able to leverage that and utilizing these new technologies like Zoom or online meetings and social media to reach out to the target audiences, whether that's consumers or educators or chefs or whoever, to keep beef front and foremost in their mind. Greg Haynes, CEO of the Cattlemen's Beef Board. Money is being made in the beef industry, but not all segments are profitable. Gary Crawford has more from Washington. Who's making money and who isn't in the beef cattle business? Well, starting at the end point and working backwards. Packers, margins are, are quite firm. USDA livestock analyst Shale Shagham says as far as cattle feedlots, those margins have been up and down all year, but at least last month. Cattle feeding margins have actually were positive in October. To some extent, that reflects the fact they were selling cattle uh, that had been purchased probably in April and May when we were looking at some of the lowest prices for that month for feeder calves in probably close to 10 years. So having gotten those fairly cheap calves, even though the prices that they were receiving for their fed cattle were below a year earlier, there was still some, some money to be made. Cow-calf operators have been having a little more trouble maintaining positive margins. Feeder prices still running generally below what they were a year ago. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. What is the best dog food to feed your dog? Well, there's a lot of choices out there, and Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd can help you choose one. That's coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today.
When we moved to Texas, we were like fish out of water. We didn't know anyone in our neighborhood until our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent came to the house. She was so helpful and reassuring, a friendly face with that Texan hospitality I'd heard about. When we purchased a Texas Farm Bureau insurance policy, we knew we were making the right choice. We knew our family would be protected. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an insurance agent who's a true neighbor. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. There are plenty of choices out there when it comes to picking a dog food. So how do you make the right choice? Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has some advice. Lots of pet food selections are made on emotions and not facts. This is why you see all of those commercials telling you your dog is still like a wolf and should be fed like a wolf in the wild. Dr. Deborah Linder is a nutritionist at Tufts University, and she indicates there is a tremendous amount of misinformation concerning pet foods, and pet owners should look at facts and not advertisements. Facts about pet food are available at two places, and the first is AFCO, which stands for the Association of American Food Control Officials. And you can search online for AAFCO. AFCO calculates nutrient profiles for commercial pet foods, and the profiles offer percentages of nutrients for a complete and balanced diet. But it is important to know that labels like for senior cats or for canine athletes is only marketing, and there are no facts to back up these statements. The World Small Animal Veterinary Association also offers a toolkit for pet owners that provides facts and allows pet owners to identify reasonable pet food companies, evaluate food quality, and look for red flags on pet food labels. Just search WSAVA.org for more information. You can also call the manufacturer and make sure they have veterinarians, nutritionists, and toxicologists on their staff. Realizing that advertisements and testimonials of other pet owners is useless in determining the quality of a food. This was never more obvious than the successful marketing campaign promoting grain-free diets for dogs, only to find out several years later that these grain-free diets can lead to heart problems, especially in large breed dogs. And these products were purchased solely on advertisements, as there were no facts involved. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. If you come across a dead rabbit, the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department wants to know about it. Jessica Domel has more in today's Wildlife Report. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is asking Texans, especially hunters, to report any dead rabbits that they encounter this fall and winter. Earlier this year, the Texas Animal Health Commission and TPWD reported wild and domestic rabbit deaths due to the rabbit hemorrhagic disease virus, or RHDV. Since June, TPWD, the Animal Health Commission, and the U.S. Department of Agriculture have not confirmed any new cases of the virus in wild rabbit populations. RHDV is a highly contagious viral disease that can affect both wild and domestic rabbits. It is known to exist in all biological tissues and fluids within rabbits. According to TPWD, it can survive on the landscape for more than 120 days and can survive freezing temperatures. It primarily affects adult rabbits and is nearly always fatal. Often the only clinical sign of RHDV is sudden death in rabbits. Other possible symptoms include dullness and apathy, incoordination, seizure-like episodes, not eating, and bleeding from the eyes and nose. RHDV can spread between rabbits through direct contact with infected rabbits, their carcasses, and infected materials. 
It appears to only affect rabbit species. But as a precaution, Texans who come across deceased wild rabbits are encouraged to keep their pets, like hunting dogs, away. People who come across dead wild rabbits are encouraged to contact their local TPWD biologist. A list is available on the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department website. Rabbit hunters are encouraged to voluntarily clean rabbits in the harvest location and discard non-consumed carcass parts in the same area. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The cattle market started out lower on Monday, but we ended up closing mix with live cattle lower, feeder cattle higher. However, we saw a big drop in both cotton and wheat. We'll take a closer look at all the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. And we're back looking at another lopsided matchup, Jim. Today we have a combine taking on a train. Yeah, that heavy train is about a thousand times heavier than the combine. No competition there. Right, especially given that it'll take at least a mile to stop that train. That's 18 football fields. It's no contest. Every day people are injured or killed trying to beat a train at rail crossings. See tracks, think train. This message brought to you by Operation Lifesaver. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. The cattle market started out the week in negative territory for both live and feeder cattle. However, as the day wore on Monday, feeders were able to turn things around and move into positive territory. So we ended up closing lower on live cattle, higher on feeder cattle. December live cattle down 45 at 110.17. February down 37, 112.87. The April contract down 55 at 116.40. Feeder cattle higher January up $1.22 at 141.05. March feeders up 97, 139.97. April feeder cattle up 75 cents, 141.07. Cash-fed cattle trade, quiet on Monday, no sales to report. Show list this week look a bit lighter here in Texas, but slightly larger in Kansas, Nebraska, and Colorado. Boxed beef higher, choice up $1.17, $244.02, select up $1.48, $222.16. Let's check a couple of feeder cattle auctions now. Cattleman's Brenham Livestock Auction in Brenham, Texas. 1,716 heads sold last week. The trend was steady to higher. Two to three weight steers, $1.55 to $1.75. Three to 400 pounders, $1.38 to $1.90. Four to five weight steers, $1.15 to $2 a pound. Five to six weights, $1 to $1.47. Six to 700 pounders, $0.95 cents to $1.22 with seven to eight weight steers, 82 cents to $1.13 a pound. Slaughter cows, 18 to 56 cents. Slaughter bulls, 52 to 77. Stocker cows, 400 to 1250 a head. Cow-calf pairs, 525 to 950 a pair. Cuero Livestock Market, Cuero, Texas, 2,835 heads sold. The trend was steady. Two to three weight steers, $1.42 to $1.76. Three to four weights, $1.34 to $1.80. Four to 500 pounders, $1.20 to $1.70 a pound. 
Five to six weight steers, a dollar thirteen to a dollar fifty-two. Six to seven weights, a dollar eleven to a dollar twenty-five. And seven to eight weight steers brought a dollar nine to a dollar eighteen a pound. Slaughter cows, fifteen to fifty-eight cents. Slaughter bulls, forty-eight to eighty-six cents. Back over to the futures market. Lean hogs closed strongly higher. December hogs up a dollar seventy, sixty-seven fifty-seven. The February up a dollar thirty-two, sixty-eight fifty-seven. Class three milk was mixed. December contract down eighteen cents at fifteen fifteen a hundred weight. The cotton market finished up the last trading day of November on a negative note. Sharply lower prices, especially on the nearby contracts. However, the month wasn't a loss. March cotton up 2.45 cents during the month of November. We close with March down 109, closing at 72.15. May cotton down 101, 73.05. December 21 cotton down 69 points at 70.75 cents. We saw a big drop in the wheat market Monday. A lot of volatility in the wheat market over the last week or so. It's not really hard to explain the fact that we do see volatility in a lot of our markets during a holiday week. A lot of traders are out of town, a very thin volume. Sometimes it doesn't take much to cause a big swing in the market. However, back here on Monday, we saw prices drop sharply lower, and there's really no fundamental reason why. Uh, Just a big drop-off in the market in both hard and soft wheat. December Kansas City wheat down 15 and three quarters, 545 and three quarters. New crop July wheat down 18 and a half, 556 and a half. July Chicago wheat down 18 and a quarter, closing at 588 and a half. The corn market lower, December down five and three quarters, 419 and three quarters. Checking the energy markets, January natural gas up 10 cents, 294. January crude oil down 10 at 45.43 a barrel. The financial markets lower. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 286 points, 29,605. The Nasdaq down 20, 12,185. The S&P 500 down 20 at 3,618. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up another episode of Texas Ag Today. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be right back here tomorrow to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. Hope to see you then. I'm Kerry Martin, and this is Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.